Hey, this is Dave Perner from Soul Asylum, and you are watching Life Minute TV. He's one of the most famous faces of the Generation X scene. Grammy-winning multi-platinum artist Dave Perner and his band Soul Asylum have been rocking the music world for about 40 years now, growing up in Minneapolis before breaking it huge in the early 90s. Turner has pretty much stayed true to his words and sounds the entire time. Eclectic, soulful, rocking, with influences all over the map, literally. Living 20 years in New Orleans has added another element to their sound. The band's currently on the road in support of their latest release, Hurry Up and Wait. We were fortunate to catch up with Perner recently while on tour to hear all about it, as well about the book he just published documenting all of Soul Asylum's work over the years, and what he thinks about what some are calling the ultimate honor, a cover of one of his songs by the late great fellow Minneapolis-bred Prince on his posthumously released Welcome to America album this past July. This is a Life Minute with Soul Asylum's Dave Perner. Yo, Anne. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, all right. Just got out of the shower. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Oh, you're very welcome. You look great. This is so cool. So what What are you guys up to? What's the latest for Soul Asylum? Well, uh, we left Minneapolis on Sunday. We got to West Virginia on Wednesday. And played there last night, and uh, here we are in Myrtle Beach, the uh, home of Kenny Powers, ready to uh, rock Myrtle Beach, kind of uh, just uh, getting uh, off the bus and out of bed and mm -hmm. sound check, and we got, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 shows, something like that. How does it feel to be back on the road again? Uh, well, it feels pretty good. It feels like I'm still kind of getting acclimated, but uh, everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. We got a good crew, we got a good uh, driver, and we got uh, all the water that, that we need. <laughs> it sounds good. And what can fans expect to see at a show? Oh, about 90 minutes of quality entertainment. Old stuff, new stuff. Not, we haven't been playing too many covers. Uh, we definitely played a couple songs last night that were new enough to us that one of them we all started off in a different song. So we had to skip that one because <laughs> I think it was my fault. I think I had a, a capo on the guitar when I wasn't supposed to. But it was one of those brief moments on stage where it's just an absolute inner panic because <laughs> no one can figure out what what's going on and uh, I'm not uh, we haven't really cleared that up yet but before we went on the guitar player and the bass player Jeremy and Ryan were both talking about it like, oh, is this the one you use a capo on it and then that looks like this chord for me and that chord for you and I'm watching them and then my whole brain just kind of went away. And we started playing it and it was just a, a train wreck. <laughs> you know, you try to cover for yourself. <laughs> like that happens, but I think we got a laugh. 
<laughs> I'm sure no one noticed. I'm sure it was great. You got to give yourself a break, right? It's been a while. This is true. And so how's it been with Juliana, right? You guys are playing with her? She canceled. She did? Yes, she did. The whole thing? Or she just... Covered. She she COVID canceled. She, oh, man. There's a lot of trepidation. Uh, so, you know, I'm disappointed. Oh. But... I didn't know that. There's so many different ways to sort of think about this and you can't really fault somebody for being too careful or being on the better safe than sorry side yeah yeah and it is kind of a you know like when do i wear a mask and when do i not wear a mask and now it's kind of this half-ass mask thing where uh the protocol is very confusing depending on where you are and who you're around, and uh, you know nobody knows. I, you know I think that's probably the scariest part about it is that there aren't really any concrete answers to anything. Yeah. You can do is uh, be as safe as you can be, I guess. Um, well, well, tell us about your latest releases. Well, we put out a uh, we had we put out a record right before the last tour. That's called Hurry Up and Wait, and it really uh, has lived up to its title as far as uh, we got to San Diego. We're about two-thirds of the way through our tour, and that's when I got a knock on the door. Tour's over. Everything's off. Go home. And I had put a book out right before that, and then uh, we were reissuing... Uh, a record called The Silver Lining with a bunch of bonus tracks on it. And then we just put out an EP of acoustic versions of some of the songs from Hurry Up and Wait, and that is called Born Free. I think that's it. You got what about the Prince uh, thing? Something about the Prince. Um... Ah, yes. Yeah. Stand up and be strong. I asked my niece how it sounded, and my niece said it was beautiful. A uh, couple other people listened to it, and I think they were being polite, but they were <clears throat> telling me how much better my version was. But me and my tour manager listened to it in the car for the first time, and we did not know what was happening. So it starts off on piano, and then unbeknownst to us, a woman comes in for the first line of the song. So we were kind of like, what happened to Prin Prince's voice? It was just the kind of a, a confusing moment. And then Prince comes in on the second line. You're like, oh, there, there he is. But he really kind of turned it into kind of a gospel feeling. And uh, depending on who my friends are, they seem, some people seem more impressed with that than, than a lot of things. Um, so it, it's really cool. I mean, I, I really, I like his interpretation of it and it does sounds like a Prince song so you put his you put his stamp on it for sure that's cool were you a Prince fan uh well growing up in Minneapolis you're kind of you know, almost take it for granted I think um 
So it's kind of like the Beatles or something where you're, you're hearing it all the time and you just know it and you, you don't, you know. So uh, I, have, I have become one over, over time just after watching his work ethic and how prolific he is and how just talented he is. Um, at, at first I didn't, I didn't know what was going on because we were punk rock kids and uh, you know he was uh, walking through the 7th street entry with his entourage while I was on stage in the little room and I'm like Who, who's, the, who, who's this guy think he is and over time I figured out who he thinks he is and who he is and uh, he's pretty great he's always been nice to me we worked at Paisley Park quite a bit and uh, he, he is missed yeah Mm -hmm. That's cool. Um, what was it like growing up in the fertile music scene of Minneapolis? You know, uh, Scrooge replacements like it was dirty and uh, very treacherous, and just kids behaving badly, pretty much. And uh, it was very—I I don't know if insular is the right word, but you know, you play a show and the, the audience would be mostly people in bands very very tight scene yet uh, each band had a, a unique identity I, it was never a case where everybody sounded the same it was kind of the opposite everyone was trying to do something to stick out and and differentiate themselves from the other groups so it was a lot of really kind of experimental punk rock some extremely limited skill set others uh coming up really fast and learning fast but you know it's it seems like most of the bands did, had no idea what they were doing and I, I think that's what kind of made it so interesting there wasn't really a a palette it wasn't like oh it's a metal scene and everyone has to wear their hair a certain way and everyone kind of has a similar sound it was really the opposite of that. It was uh, really the more screwed up you were, the more interesting it was, and the more experimental you were, you weren't afraid to uh, to take chances. And you know, there was a lot of uh, mistakes, a lot of things falling apart all the time, and uh, a lot of laughs. I mean, I think that the sense of humor that was intact is something that people forget about none of it would have been fun if if people were taking it too seriously or if it was too competitive or if uh people's egos were too expanded so yeah you had to approach it in a in sort of a humble kind of way because everyone was kind of learning what they were doing uh, and it makes me laugh just thinking about it it's a folly well that's cool then so like you were friends with the other people like the you know, you didn't feel competition. You felt like with the Husker dudes and was it replacements, I guess. Like, did you feel competition or? <laughs> uh, not really. I mean, I think that if something good happened to a band, I mean, I like to think that everyone else was, was behind them, you know. And when Husker Du or the replacements went out and got an opportunity with a record label or whatever, I think that... They were kind of representing the, this, our scene in a way. 
everyone was excited for them and thinking, gosh, maybe someday that will that will happen to my band. So I didn't feel it. I mean, I'm sure that there was people out there in bands that were really competitive and you know talking shit about other people's bands behind their backs and this that and the other thing i'm sure it went on just it's not for me i don't i just kind of i just kind of enjoyed the whole atmosphere and then so when you guys got bigger than all of them and you had your huge success um did that change you or any in any way or what did that feel like well, we paid off our debts. We were, you know, we've been kind of running on borrowed money and broken gear and a lot of uh, just sort of trying to keep our heads above water. Um, I think the best part of it is that you finally get to work in a studio and you get to choose a producer so i'm like well i want to work with the guy that worked with the ramones and the record labels i go okay here's ed stasium we'll we'll hire him i want to work with the guy who works with patty smith okay lenny k here he is you know and that's a pretty i mean you learn a lot because you're spending a bunch of money in new york and uh there's there's pressure to not screw it up it's it's a huge learning experience to to jump from something where you're kind of it's a do-it-yourself kind of thing where you're you're just trying to sort everything out and then all of a sudden you're in this kind of world where you're around you know pros for lack of a better expression people that have been doing it and that know how to do it you know there's always more to learn from people who know what they're doing so i mean in a way it was long overdue but in another way it may not have happened we just sort of kept our heads down and kept working and doing what whatever we could to get better and to get from one town to the next town and to get from point a to point b and uh again we didn't really know what we were doing so you kind of i guess you do what you think is best for the band and uh what's good for the band is that we play a good show and at least there's a few people there that are having fun (laughs) awesome how has your sound evolved from the early days to now well we've had a couple changing members and that has changed the sound in a good way i think you know i've lived in new orleans for 20 years and that was a, <laughs> it was an it was an odyssey of of learning about the music of america and where it all comes from and how it got to me so i was able to sort of be living in New Orleans and and living in a in a you know living history where things were trumpet players still kind of take cues from Louis Armstrong and all this history is happening in in front of your ears and uh, I just got really immersed in it and uh, 
the second line beat and the syncopation and the I played trumpet when I was a kid, so it was really fun to finally hear what that instrument is supposed to sound like because in Minneapolis it's kind of different. I like to say there's everyone in Minneapolis has a guitar, everyone in New Orleans has a horn. Um, so yeah, you know, the street parades and all that sort of stuff, the culture is amazing. and. Uh, I think it really just informed my music in a way that made it more manageable because it, it took on more of a universal kind of a, a language, if you will. It's all kind of somewhere in there as far as the sound of the band just kind of evolving and going one way or the other. And then again, at the end of the day, to, to someone else, it just sounds like a rock band. Yeah, two two guitars, one bass, one drummer. Same thing as the Beatles had. Same, you know, it's fucking rock band. So to someone else, it might all sound the same, I guess. <laughs> it's so interesting to be about Nashville. It's like if we're hearing that so often lately. All the best musicians, they they just flock there later in life even. It's just so funny. A lot of people have been saying that to us lately. It's funny. Yeah, I know quite a few people that have moved to Nashville, especially after Hurricane Katrina. A lot of people, engineers and studio people that were out of work. And I have quite a few friends there that are on both sides of the business, musicians and uh, people that work in studios. And... Uh, it, it's all that, you know, I mean, it's certainly a music town like New Orleans is. It's just a different uh, kind of an angle, and it's definitely more, it has more access to the outside world, I think. Um, it's more of a kind of a universal thing where there's a lot of studios and, and the music can get out, um, whereas in New Orleans or even Minneapolis, you're, you're just kind of where you are. So I think that that's true. Um, and I just, I, I just love it. I mean, I love walking up and down Broadway and seeing all these guitar slingers, and they're just amazing. And you're like, why isn't this guy, you know, on TV instead of that jerk, you know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just amazing players and uh, a great atmosphere for musicians that's cool what inspires you to create mm. and has that changed at all over the years no i mean i think it's kind of a cathartic sort of a thing i i, I don't really wonder why i do it but it seems like i would do it anyways like if if I lived in a hole under a rock. I'd probably still be writing little tunes and drawing little pictures and doing all this kind of stuff that I do for no apparent reason. So yeah, I just I sit up on the bus and I do some writing and I do some drawing and I mess around with my. I went to Target before we went on tour and got some art supplies and uh, it really keeps keeps my brain activated in a way where I am always trying to come up with something new or something that pleases me and after that I don't really pay that much attention to it which is kind of a strange way of going about it you know I'm making a painting 
but I don't really care if anybody else sees it. Um, and that's kind of similar with the music, although, you know, it, it pretty much helps if somebody else is going to hear it at some point. Otherwise, uh, I'm wasting everybody else's time. <laughs> What'd you get at Target? Watercolors or? <laughs> kind of uh, I got some Sharpie paint pens. I got some uh, little acrylic paints. Um, I did get some watercolors and I got, you know, brushes, cheap brushes. I can't, you know, I can't afford to buy really nice brushes and then lose them or forget to wash them or or whatever. So um, what I didn't buy was Mod Podge, which is one of my favorite things, but I'm pretty sure my tour manager would not want that all over the bus. Um, I think that's about it, you know, a, a decent size uh, notebook for drawing and uh, some colored pencils, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Very cool. So that's what you do when you're not making music, artwork. Different Pretty much, yeah. Yep. Cool. Very cool. And tell us a little bit more about your book. Well, I didn't really get to go out and uh, promote it, and I don't know how much I would have enjoyed that you know sitting at a bookstore and feeling like a dumbass <laughs> it was a journey through the past kind of you know just writing out every lyric my tour manager Janine helped me with it and uh, just kind of trying to take myself back to when I wrote the song and what was going on in my brain and uh, sometimes it, it, it was kind of embarrassing, but other times I was like, hey, you know, that's, that's not bad for a 19-year-old. Um, so it was, it, was, it was good. It was kind of, it felt like going backwards a little bit, just uh, reliving my life of songwriting. The joke that we make is that it's a lonely, it's a lonely life, the life of a writer. Um, I think it came out really good in a way that I never thought I would put a book out. I mean, so I can make jokes about it pretty easily. Like, you know, I'm a published author now, so rude to toot, you know. That's Very cool. Very cool. What would your current self say to your 19-year-old self? Probably stay in school. Uh, you know, don't hang around with those kids. And uh, get a real job. And then you'll have something to fall back on. Yeah, I don't, you know, I mean, uh, I, I, you know, it's like go, go live your dream, man. Do whatever it is that you feel like you want to too because I mean I don't know I, I guess it's worked out yeah you know, uh, <laughs> think so you know sacrifices that were made and, and choices that maybe weren't the best choices but uh, you know 
at some point or another, I had to pick the band or school, and I picked the band, and here I am. I think I'd be really miserable in some of, maybe, some of the other jobs I might have ended up in. Did you always know you wanted to be in music even when you were little? I did, actually. I mean, unbeknownst to me, I think, there's pictures of me when I'm five years old playing drums and playing guitars, and and I remember being always being really into it. Like, that's just where my brain was at. And I think, you know, it was probably somewhat amusing and somewhat concerning for mom and, and dad. Um, but yeah, I mean, like my next door neighbor got an electric guitar and I was all of probably eight. And I remember it like very vividly. And I just wanted to play that thing so badly. And there is a photo and I do look like I'm gonna fucking take this seriously. Even though I'm seven years old, I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so cute! And today is Vinyl Record Day. So, what was the first vinyl you ever had? Uh, forty-five or LP? Uh, either one. Uh, I think. Let's see. Both. I actually want to know both. I think the forty-five was Smoke on the Water. <laughs> And I think the LP, my sis, my older sister had a lot of LPs. I think the first one I bought for myself was Captain Fantastic. Wow, that one, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, was he one of your influences? Who were some of your influences? Deep Purple. Uh, it seems like there's kind of a music side and a and a <clears throat> and a and a word side. So I mean, the music thing. When I was a when I was a kid, I was into jazz music, trumpet players, um, and then my my even my taste in that turned from people like Maynard Ferguson and, and people that could play the highest note to uh, Miles Davis. Who, you kind of start to realize that it's not a music isn't a a sport and athletic endeavor. Um, so, you know, and then there's the radio kind of period where you're just listening to whatever's on the radio, going to uh, Shopper City and buying the 45 that's on the radio. Um, I remember my mom went to, uh, it was this place called Zare's Shopper City, which is like a discount store, kind of like Target. And uh, I said, "Oh, mom, you gotta, you gotta get this forty-five for me." And uh, she'd say, "Well, what's the name of it?" And I'd sing it to her. And then she would go to Shopper City and not; she'd have to sing it to the. <laughs> and. Uh, I wasn't there for that, but I think that would have been pretty amusing. Did they know what it was? Yeah. <laughs> Did they help her? Most what was time. it? Yeah. I don't, and there was one called When You're Hot, You're Hot. And When You're Not, You're Not. Um, 
there's one called Winchester Cathedral. Um, I just visualizing my mother singing that to a clerk is pretty hilarious to me. Um, and and then I kind of got more into hard hard rock. I had a kiss period that I'm not particularly proud of. Um, and uh, nothing wrong with kiss. <laughs> yeah. In high school, I was still playing the trumpet, and then I switched to saxophone because you know Bruce Springsteen and Bob Seger and people like that had a saxophone in their band. And then I finally realized that I'm, you know, uh, I was listening to Jimi Hendrix a lot and going, I'm just going to learn how to play guitar. And then I heard the Ramones and a couple other punk bands and went, oh, you know, maybe I, maybe I can do this. Yeah. And then on the other side of it, there's the Velvet Underground, Lou Reed and Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan and, you know, who I consider to be the great lyricists of our time if you will so that kind of informs things too and hopefully it ends up sounding like something um anybody from today that you listen to that you like uh well we i got into this band called cage the elephant oh yeah they're they're pretty good and uh i like those uh i like those tiny desk concerts on npr they got real interesting music, and I like that um, I can see a lot of live music now on YouTube, which is something that you couldn't do back in back in the day, you know. Yeah, I'm not doing great on this one. Uh, you know, I just bought a I just bought a magazine about Aaliyah. I, I really was a fan of hers, so I like I like hip hop. I like uh, Kendrick Lamar. Uh, I like. Uh, I like uh, Pantera. Oh, me too. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of keeping up with people before it's too late, it seems like. That was the next thing I was going to ask you. How do, what do you think of the way music's changed? Do you think it's for the better, for the worst? How, you know, we can stream everything? And well, that's a good question. I mean... Like I said about the YouTube thing, that that's really cool, and it's, it's it's so much better to me than MTV and kind of watching people lip sync and stuff. To see people actually playing the instruments is great. Uh, I hate MP3s; I think they sound terrible. So that always kind of turned me off, and I was really kind of like, okay, now I gotta buy these. CDs and formats and this, that, and the other thing. It was getting very frustrating. And then kind of vinyl came back, and now I just listen to records all the time. And, and it's really, I could have I could have skipped those 25 years between vinyl and vinyl, uh, where all this nonsense is going on with trying to, I mean, I guess I get the convenience factor of it all, but it's just, it's not... Uh, it's not really for people that that love music and people that you know are serious about it. It's more like background kind of noise. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Dave, thank you so much. Thank that was you. A great interview. <laughs> you sounded awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks, and good luck on the tour. 
Be safe. See enjoy it. Someday. Right. So, <laughs> thanks, Joanna. Thank you. Have a good show. Thank you. <laughs> to hear more of this interview, visit our podcast, Life Minute TV, on iTunes and all streaming podcast platforms. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Life Minute TV.